We open the word of the Lord and honor the word of the Lord today. Today we are looking in the book of St. Matthew, St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 10, and we are simply going to read verse number 39 this morning. Amen. The book of Matthew, chapter number 10, this morning, and reading verse number 39. Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I don't think I'm reading out of an American Bible. I want to talk to you this morning using for my subject, living life in reverse. Living life in reverse. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Father, I just pray your anointing to rest upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord, today. Give us ears upon our heart today. Let us receive, and not only receive and hear, but let us do the word of the Lord As we leave this room today, let us be changed and better because we have come and spent time in your presence. We ask in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Well, you may be reseated this morning. I want to suggest to you today that to be truly successful, to be truly successful in this life, one must live in reverse of the world's philosophy. Would you agree? Let me tell you, friend, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. If you want to understand the kingdom of God, good luck. Because it's difficult. It's hard. It's opposite of everything that we think. It's opposite of everything we, we are taught. It's opposite of the way that almost every person lives their life. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Pleasing God is simple. How many of you would like to please the Lord? I want to help you this morning. Pleasing God is is incredibly, incredibly simple. In order to please the Lord, all, all you have to do is live life in reverse. Just live life in reverse. Whatever the world teaches, do the opposite, and you will be doing what God wants you to do. The world says, live for today. God says, no, live for eternity. The world says, live for yourself, man. It's all about you, man. God says, no, live for me and live for others. The world says push and and shove and scratch and claw and run to the front of the line. God says, no, humble yourself and go to the back of the line. Man says success is determined by your position and and your possessions. Oh, oh, to be successful, man says, oh, oh, you've got to have the position and it's all about your possessions. God says, no. No, God says success is determined by obedience. 
and by who you are becoming. So let's talk a little bit about this upside-down kingdom today. Let's talk about living life in reverse. Let's talk about it in three areas this morning. The first area that we need to live life in reverse is in, in the area of serving. The area of serving. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Americans want and expect to be served. And it starts very early in life. Kids, kids seem to be born with a sense of entitlement. In many homes today, we've got the tail wagging the dog. And little, if anything, changes as kids grow up and become adults. Oh, oh we adults, we love to be served. Whether it be in a restaurant, you better bring it to me. It better be hot. It better be fresh. You better get it here in a hurry. My tea glass better not be half empty. I like to be served. I like somebody to wait on me. Oh, a sporting event. Football. 22 guys down there on the field desperately in need of rest. 75,000 fans in the stands desperately in need of exercise. Serve me, serve me, we say. Oh, the movies. Oh, oh, even in church. Church has become a spectator sport. Church has become a place where we take, we take our little pen and our paper and oh, we critique the service and we check out what we like and what we don't like and this and that and something else. We're here to be served. Service, preacher. And people aren't afraid to tell the whole world today when they or their personal wants and way of thinking is not being served. But Jesus taught that we are to serve. Jesus himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, God himself. Jesus himself said that he did not come to to this earth to be served, but he came to serve. And serve he did. Serve he did. Oh, when there was not a servant present to wash the disciples' dirty feet, when not one of those disciples would humble himself enough to wash the dirty feet, Jesus, the Bible said, took a basin of water and he took a towel and he bowed before each and every one of the of the disciples, even before the one that he knew would betray him. And Jesus washed the dirty feet of the disciples. And when he finished, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I have just given you an object lesson in servanthood. And what I have just done, Jesus said, you need to do. Jesus taught that the way up is down. In Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter number 23, And verse number 11, I believe. Jesus said, He who is greatest among you. Oh, he's going to be served, right? 
right? No. Jesus said, he who is greatest among you is going to be your servant. And Jesus said, whoever exalts himself is going to be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen? Amen. Jesus said to succeed in the kingdom of God. And I don't believe it's just to succeed in the kingdom of God, but I believe that to succeed in life, to have God's blessing and God's favor and God's anointing upon your life, be a servant. Pastor, how do I know whether I'm a servant? Are you serving? I'm a servant. Well, you're not serving anybody. Servants serve. Let me ask you this question this morning. How many of you want to be promoted at work? How many of you like to get a promotion at work? Well, in order to get a promotion at work, the world teaches us to scratch and claw and run over anybody that gets in your way. Jesus says, uh-uh. He says, humble yourself. Jesus said, if if you want to be promoted at work, humble yourself. Do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Get your hands dirty. Show up early and work late. Do the work of a servant and guess what? Guess what? You're going to get noticed. You're going to get noticed. You will eventually become promoted. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. How many of you this morning want your marriage to get better? Want your marriage to get better? Then serve your mate. Serve your mate. Go the extra mile. Consider their needs above your needs. Let me understand this is in reverse order of what most spouses do. Most spouses tell other people how bad their spouse is. And they just don't meet my needs. My spouse is just not meeting my needs. And most spouses think, when they meet my need, then I'll start working on their needs. No, friend, that's the selfish, me-centered philosophy of this world. And I'm telling you, friend, things will never turn around at home. Things will never change. Things will never get better in your marriage and in your home if you operate in this mentality. Jesus said it like this. He said, hey, he said, you know the way you would like your boss to treat you? You know the way that you would like your husband or your wife to treat you? The way you would like other people to treat you? Jesus said if you'll treat other people like you would like to be treated, things will pick up around your place. I'm talking about living life in reverse this morning. Living life. In reverse. You see, in every single area of life, if we will approach it with the attitude of a servant instead of with some type of entitlement, instead of always standing up for our rights, if we will instead live life and approach everything in life with humility and thanksgiving, 
If we'll live life in reverse in the area of serving, oh, we will have God's blessing, we will have God's favor, and we will have God's reward. Well, let's talk about another area this morning. Let's talk about living life in reverse in the area of stewarding. Stewarding, that's an old word. But it's a good word. 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 says, It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now we understand that a steward is a manager of somebody else's property. If you work for somebody else, you're a steward. You're a manager of your boss's property. Well, I'm going to tell you, friend, we, you and I, the people of God, we are stewards of God's property. And we don't own anything in this life. Oh, we bow our back and we get mad and people even leave the church when the pastor talks about tithing. That's a little piddly 10%. I want to tell you, let me really make you mad this morning. 10% don't belong to God. 100% of it belongs to God. It's all his. It's not yours. You don't own anything. Well, I worked hard. Well, who gave you your strength? Who gave you your ability? Who gave you your knowledge? Who gave you wisdom? Amen. Remember hearing the story about the man that challenged God. And you're a creator. I'm a creator too. I can, whatever you create, I can create. And God said, I'll take that challenge. And that man reached down and took a handful of dirt. And God says, uh-uh, get your own dirt. Listen, your argument's not going to hold up. You're a steward. You're a manager. It's God's. Not 10%, 100%. It all belongs to God. None of it is yours. And one of these days, you're going to stand before God, and God's going to say, what would you do with my stuff? Amen? How many of you, ever taken, how many of you fathers have ever taken something away from your son when he was growing up because he didn't take care of your stuff? And you locked it up and you said, you lost your privilege, bud. You didn't take care of it. This is mine and you didn't take care of it. You can't, you know, normally I'd let, but you know. Everything belongs to God. We don't own anything in this life. We're merely managers, stewards of God's property. Here's what I've discovered. The way that the world teaches you to manage property and manage money and the way that God teaches, it whirls apart. Absolute opposites. To please God in the area of money, one must live life in reverse. And I haven't talked about the management of money for quite a while. I talk about it a lot, but I haven't talked about it for quite a while. So I'm just going to remind you of some things this morning. You see, the world's management of money is in this priority. This, this is the world's management of money. This is their priority. Spend, save, so. That's the world. Number one, spin. Number two, save. Number three, sow. American philosophy of money management. Number one, spend, or should I say spin, 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 spin yourself right out of everything that you have, and then spin yourself into debt, and then spin yourself into more debt, and then spin yourself into much, much more debt. I mean, because you must have your stuff. 
Gotta have your stuff, man. Oh, you gotta keep up with the Joneses. Why would you want to keep up with the Joneses? They are in debt up to their eyeball. Oh, you got to have the latest and the greatest. Oh, six months ago you said, I've got to have the latest and the greatest. Can't live without it. Six months later you find out it's out of date. I'm usually about three gadgets behind, you know, because, you know, I know that there's another one coming. Another one coming. Amen. You know, when the televisions are just in the air and you don't even have anything on your that's when I'll get a new one. I mean, you know, I'm just waiting. Can't be happy unless you have it all. Oh, remember MasterCard commercial? I want it all. I want it all. And I, I want it now. Spend, spend. The world says, oh, spend, spend. And if by chance you have anything left, then you can save some so you can spend more later. And after you spend and after you save, the world says, if you have anything left over, you can sow. Oh, it's okay to give to your church. It's okay to give to a charity. The leftovers, if there's anything left, it's okay to give that. How many understand this is opposite of what the Word of God teaches? God's priority for managing money is in this priority. So, save, spend. Talk about living life in reverse. That's exactly what we've got to do. If we're going to be pleasing to God, if we're going to live according to the Word of God, we're actually just going to live life absolutely in reverse. You see, if you live according unto the world's philosophy of stewarding, which I said to you is spend, save, show, well, you will use all of your resources up on spending, and little, if anything, will be saved for when you might need to retire, or when you might be sick, or when you might get laid off at work, which happens frequently in America today. And you'll have little, if anything, to sow or invest in the work of the Lord. Now, on the other hand, if you live life in reverse in this area, you're going to sow first. You're going to save second. And you're going to spend third. And if you live life in reverse and you live life in that order, not only will you have given to the work of the Lord because you gave it first, but because you gave it first, now you have God's promise to open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing there'll not be room enough to receive it. You have God's promise that he will rebuke that one that is devouring all your stuff. Because you have honored God. You've lived not according unto the philosophy of the world, but you have lived according to the teaching of the Word of God. And if you save second, you will have money for emergencies. Let me just tell you, you're going to have some emergencies. 
you know, this is really not an emergency, but for most people it is because they don't ever even think about it. But you know, those tires aren't going to wear out. They're not going forever. Amen? You, you know, your car's going to break down. Yeah. Junior's going to throw the football through the window. Kids are going to have some bumps and bruises. You're going to the doctor, going to the emergency room. I'm not negative. I just know. There, there's going to be emergencies. Nobody escapes them. But if you save some, you'll have money for emergencies. You'll have money for vacation. Oh, I wish I could take a vacation. Well, you probably can. Now, there might be one or two that couldn't, but most everybody can. I made that a priority when I was growing up. Not when I was growing up. It wasn't a priority. So I made it a priority when I became a dad. We, we took our kids to Disneyland. We took them to, you know, here and there and everywhere. We took them all over the country. Not because I had so much money, but because I planned for it. I saved for it. Every single week, out of our check, my wife took X amount of dollars. wasn't a lot. But, you know, times 52, it, mount, it mounts up. And so when June, July, August, whenever that time came, we were going on vacation. We could do it. Not because I had so much money, but because I had planned for it. I saved. Amen? Catastrophes, retirement. One of these days, they're going to tell you, thank you for your services, but they're no longer needed. (laughs) Pastor, we love you, but, you know, bye. We'll give you a plaque. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, The wise, they have plenty, but fools spend everything they get. Are you a fool? I wouldn't call anybody a fool. The Bible says I shouldn't call you a fool. But I'm asking you, are you a fool? Well, how, how do I know? Well, do you spend everything you get? By definition, you're a fool. I didn't t- call you that. But that's what the wisdom writer said. He said, The wise. He said, the wise, they have plenty. They have enough. But the fool, he spends everything that they get. Friend, if you're wise in your spending, there will be plenty of money to provide for you everything that you need to sustain life. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your money and with the first, the first of everything that you gain, and you will have plenty. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, He said, If you'll put God first in everything in your life, He will see that you have all that you need. The subject today is living life in reverse. The problem is too many Christians today have adopted the philosophy of this world. They have listened to the lie of the enemy. They say that they are serving God, but in reality they are living their life right in step with the world. You cannot tell the difference between them and the world. Friend, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. God's ways cannot be figured out with a logical mind. God's ways are totally opposite to the ways of man. So if we are truly living for God, if we are truly in step with God, that means we are out of step with mainstream society. If we are pleasing God in the way that we are living, that means we are actually living our life in reverse. It means we are actually living our life absolutely opposite 
the way the world lives their life. Amen? Let me understand our thinking ought to be opposite as well as our actions. So let's talk about one more thing, one more area where we need to live life in reverse. It's in the area of suffering. This teaching is not politically correct, but it's the word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. How did Jesus learn? By the things he suffered. Now understand that nobody likes or wants to suffer. And very few people are talking about it these days. Because comfortable, comfortable, that's the word for today. But let me tell you, friend, comfortable isn't really what's best for us. I didn't expect any amens, and I didn't get any. (laughs) Comfortable isn't really what's best for us. But, friend, we cannot always be comfortable. And I, I would suggest that we learn nothing in times of comfort. God teaches us something. When he wants to teach something in our life, he teaches us something by placing the very opposite of that in our life. Take the fruit of the Spirit, for example. God grows this in our lives by filling our life with the opposite of this fruit. Let's read the list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's found in in Galatians chapter number 5, verse 22 and 23. Galatians chapter number 5, verse 22 and, and 23. And Paul writes and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long suffering. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness and it's self control. Wow! Wow, what awesome and incredible fruit. Oh, that is such luscious fruit, is it not? My friend, the fruit of the Spirit is not grown in our lives without suffering, without pain, without difficulty. Let's let's take a look at each one of these individually and and then let's just suggest how God grows this individual fruit in our lives. You, You see, God doesn't just magically place this fruit in our life. He grows it. We don't just say, Lord, give me the fruit of the Spirit and He waves His magic wand over us and we have all of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It magically appears in our life. No, no, the fruit of the Spirit is grown. He grows it. Now, I don't know very much about farming. In fact, I I know so little about farming that one day I decided to have a garden and this city slicker made a garden and was so proud of his garden and, and one of his farmer... Deacons came by and 
I wanted to show off my garden, and I said, Bud, what do you think about these beautiful tomato plants I have planted? Well, they look pretty good for peppers, Pastor. <laughs> no, they're tomatoes. Pastor, you can call them tomatoes if you want, but they're peppers. I said, it's right on the shelf right there. I just took it off and said, I don't know, I don't know much about farming. Obviously. <laughs> Never attempted a garden since. Amen. That that was enough. I, I don't know much about don't know much about farming, but I but I do know that it's hard work. And I know that much goes into the process. The ground has to be tilled. The ground has to literally be ripped apart. Seed has to be planted. Fertilizer has to be applied. Weeds and bugs have to be sprayed or the weeds have to be pulled up. Oh, the, the rain must come down. Oh, the sun has its purpose as well. And so it is with the fruit of the Spirit. In our lives, this fruit must be grown. And God uses a process to grow this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And sometimes, sometimes the sun is beating down upon us. But it's a part of the process. Sometimes the torrential rains come in our lives. But it is a part of the process of God growing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Sometimes the fertilizer, and you know what that is, don't you? Sometimes the fertilizer is being applied. Oh, oh, you might say, Pastor, my life stinks right now. Well, well, maybe God is growing the fruit of the Spirit in your life right now. And maybe right now God's pouring on the fertilizer. Very quickly, let's look this morning at, at each one of the fruit of the Spirit and then see how God grows them in our life. Love. Love, oh, that sounds sweet, doesn't it? That's a sweet, sweet tasting fruit. Everybody wants love in their life. But I ask you, how does the fruit of love grow in our lives? The fruit of love grows in our lives by dealing with unlovable people in our lives. Jesus said, Jesus said, even sinners, he said, even sinners, even the ungodly, even sinners, Jesus said, love people that love them. But Jesus said, the true test of love is to love those that will not love you back. I've got a couple of those in my life. How about you? I wonder, what did I ever do to those people? Other people love me. Why can't they? How does God grow this this fruit of love in our lives? By placing unlovable people in our life and testing us to see, can you love them? Well, yeah, you can love those that love you, yeah. Those that sing your praises, those that pat you on the back and tell you how great you are, those that give you gifts and wine you and dine you and do things for you, those that are always there, oh, anybody can love them, but what about those, amen, that say, I'm behind you, and you say, yes, please take out the knife. Can you love them? And Jesus places those kinds of people in all of our life so that the fruit of the Spirit might grow in our life, the fruit of love. How about joy? How does this fruit grow in us? 
Well, God grows joy in our lives by allowing unpleasant circumstances in our life. The Bible says about Jesus, but for the joy, but for the joy that was set before him, oh, he despised the sin and the shame, but for the joy. See, we, we, we don't understand the difference between happiness and joy. See, happiness is totally dependent upon what's happening. Jesus wasn't really happy at the moment when he looked forward to the cross and he saw in his future was the, the crown of thorns and, 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 and the nails and the sin of the world. He, he wasn't necessarily happy about it. In that, he wasn't happy at the moment, but for the joy, he still had joy. Yesterday morning I played golf about 7.30 in the morning. And, oh, man. I'm 10 over par in, in, in five holes. I mean, I start out with a double bogey. I go from there to a triple bogey. I'm five over in two holes. And it just gets, you know, for about five or six, I mean, in, in, at the end of five holes, I'm 10 over par. I want to be 10 over par. In fact, the last time I played, I was 10 over par for 18. And now I'm 10 over par in five holes. I'm not very happy. I know it's a silly game, but it's a silly game I like, and I like to play well, and, and I like to beat my friends. And I wasn't doing either. I, I wasn't really happy at the moment with ten over par and five holes, but it didn't affect my joy. Happiness is dependent upon what's happening. But joy goes much deeper than that. Because my joy doesn't come from a golf game. A little happiness, a little fun, a little pleasure, a little relief. There wasn't much relief yesterday, but usually there's some relief. Amen. It's not that we're happy about the circumstances. It's that we have joy in spite of the circumstances. Go on quickly. How about peace? How does, grow, how does God grow the fruit of, of the spirit of peace in our life? He, he grows the fruit of the spirit of peace in our life. Jesus does it by sending us into the storm. Oh no, Pastor. Jesus. Jesus. The devil might, but Jesus would never send his children into a storm. We'll try and convince the disciples about that. In Matthew um, 14, I believe. In Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says Jesus constrained the disciples to get into a boat. Why did he constrain them? Same reason why the Boy Scout had the little had the problem get the getting the little old lady across the street. She didn't want to go, and the disciples didn't want to go because they were fishermen and they could discern the sky. And they looked up in the sky and they saw there is a storm brewing. There's a storm coming. Jesus, you're a carpenter. We're fishermen. We know how to discern the sky. We love you, Lord, but we don't want to get in that boat. You're sending us into the storm. But Jesus made them. 
Yeah, you're sweet little Jesus. Some of you need to read your Bible. How does, how does God grow peace in our life? He grows peace in our life uh, by sending us into the storm. If it weren't for the storm of life, we would never see and hear Jesus stand in the midst of our storm and speak to the storm and say, peace be still. Friend, everybody has peace when there's no storm. Oh, but the supernatural fruit of the Spirit of peace is grown only in the midst of the storm. How about long-suffering? I don't know about you, but I, I do pretty good with short suffering. <laughs> I'm not too bad with short suffering, but, but, but long suffering? How, how does God grow the fruit of, of the spirit of long suffering in our lives? He grows the fruit of long suffering in our life by allowing us to experience suffering that lasts a long time. <laughs> oh, I'm deep. I'm so deep. Job knew quite a bit about long-suffering. How about kindness? How about goodness? How about gentleness? How are these fruits grown in us? They are grown in us by, by placing the opposites in our life. And, and how about faithfulness? How is faithfulness grown in our lives? Some of you are not going to like this one. But I'm going to tell you faithfulness is grown in our life. By God allowing us to do all the right things and yet see little results. To do all the right things and at least for a time see little results. Will we quit? Will we quit? Or will we continue to show up and be and do the right things? Amen? It's easy to be faithful when, you know, today is better than yesterday and tomorrow is better than today. It's easy to be faithful when everybody's marching in your parade. Kind of hard to continue to be faithful when you look up and you see at the end of the parade there's gallows waiting. <laughs> Write that down, honey. That's an ad lib. And finally, don't you just love that word finally in a sermon? Don't you wish it meant something? Finally, self-control. Self-control. How does God grow this fruit of the Spirit of self-control in our life? By allowing us to be tempted. Because how can self-control grow in our life if we're never tempted. If we can get the musicians and singers back this morning. We're talking about living life in reverse this morning. Oh, no one likes or wants to suffer. Oh, man literally runs away from suffering and yet, and yet suffering can actually be good for us. Oh, it's actually good for us to struggle sometimes. I've had to struggle sometimes in my life, my ministry. I didn't like it then, but I'm glad for it. It gives me perspective. Gives me perspective. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to the next struggle. I'm just saying I'm thankful for the struggles that I've had and I've learned in every one of them. 
Friend, if you want the fruit of the Spirit to grow in your life, you're going to have to be willing to allow its opposite to be placed in your life. If the fruit is going to grow, then the ground cannot just lay there undisturbed. Oh, but, but, but it has to literally be ripped apart. The weeds cannot be allowed to grow there. They must be pulled up. The shine and the rain are needed. There's even a place for the fertilizer. Sometimes life stinks. It's all a part of God's process of growing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 says, If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Amen. You're what? <laughs> oh, would you agree with me this morning? God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Oh, do you want to really truly be successful in life? Well, in order to be so, you're going to have to live life in reverse. In order to please God, you're going to have to live your life in reverse order of the world's philosophy. God's kingdom, the way up is down. Do you want God to promote you in His kingdom? If you do, then humble yourself. Humble yourself and become a servant. Live your life in reverse order of this world. Friend, if you are marching to the beat of this world's drum, if you are heading in the same direction of the masses, then you are headed in the wrong direction. I encourage you today, turn around and head in the opposite direction of this whole world, and then you will know you are headed in the right direction. God's will for His people is to live life in reverse. Would you stand with me this morning all over this congregation? Father, Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord today. God, I believe this is a word. We need to hear and we need to heed. Very little is being said and taught and preached. But this is the truth. If we want to be blessed. If we want your favor, we must live life in the way that you teach. heads are bowed, your eyes are closed this morning. Nobody's looking about. Nobody's leaving for just a moment. And I have one more order of business when I'm done with this, so please hang tight with me this morning. Maybe there's an area, maybe more than one area of your life. You say, Pastor, wow. <laughs> Woo! It's going to be tough. going to be tough in this area. But I want to be pleasing to God. And I need Him to help me. I need His help. If I'm going to live life in reverse, and especially in this one particular area of my life, if I'm going to live life in reverse, I am definitely going to have to have His help. And I want to raise my hand and say, God, I need Your help today. Is that you all over this room? Thank you. God bless you so many. Thank you for your honesty. Probably every one of us should have lifted our hands. Father, I just pray for each and every one that lifted their hand today. 
Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will help them today. God, it's not easy to live life in reverse. It's not easy to be going north when everybody else is going south. It's not easy to humble yourself when everything within you screams to exalt yourself. It's not easy to go to the back of the line when you, your American mindset says you belong in the first of the line. not easy to be a servant when you've kind of gotten to a place in life where you think, well, I, you know, I've been a servant long enough and I think I need time for me to be served. Well, I, I don't think that day's ever going to come in the kingdom of God. Help us today. God, help us, Lord, to grasp this today. Lord, help us not to just hear another sermon today, but Lord, let our lives be changed because we put into effect the Word of God. encourage you today to take this lesson, this message, put it into practice. We're Pentecostal people and we want want the evangelist to lay his hand on us and we fall down and then we get up and everything's perfect. That's what we want. And I don't have any problem with the evangelist laying our hands on us. I don't have any problem. We ought to pray for one another. All of that, all of that's good. All of that's wonderful. I'll tell you the greatest way to change is simply to hear the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God put into effect what we have heard, what we've been taught, what the Word of the Lord says. Experiences are great, emotions are wonderful, but they change very, very little. But the Word of God, rightly applied, will change us totally. Let's worship in one more chorus and then I have one more order of business and then we'll be done this morning. to return this morning. We're going to take a very quick offering. I'll be Christ arms or beggar plead. But I just want to let you know that every year we have our VBS. This year we're having Kids Crusade. Always spend several thousand dollars on it. We do it upright. We close out with a carnival. That's where most of the expense comes from. I'm in a lockdown mode financially. These guys, I put the squeeze on our staff. We're trying to save every nickel, every dime we can. So when we move in our new building, we have the money to furnish it. We have scaled down this year, this, as far as the carnival, but it'll still be excellent. But it's still going to cost us about $3,500 for this. We don't have to cover all of this expense, but we don't need to take it all out of the church either because we need that money to furnish the new building. 
And I ask you every year, and you respond every year. So please, just help us. Maybe somebody could could write a check for five hundred dollars, or two fifty, or a whole host of people could write a check for a hundred or twenty five dollars, or whatever that you can do. Not going to beg, plead, twist arms, anything like that. But I believe our kids are worth it. Our kids are worth it. We literally get families from these events. So it's a good investment. And even if we didn't, it's still a good investment because we're investing in our own kids as well as neighborhood kids. So I just ask if you will help me this morning with the best that you can possibly do. Father, just help us today, Lord, together. Lord, I just pray for you two services. We can get all the money, Lord without affecting or hurting anyone or asking too much of anyone. Well, we can all do the best we can do, and it'll be enough. God, I just pray a very special blessing upon, Lord, our kids crusade this year. God, upon our workers, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the dedicated workers that we have. Thank you for our children's pastor who's literally given 20 years of her life to New Bethel and children's ministry. And I just pray your blessing upon her. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you will just uh, let this be an incredible crusade this, this week. Lord, let little lives be touched and ministered to for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will receive the offering. Pastor Steve will come and dismiss you in just about 30 seconds. I love you. Have a great, great rest of the day. I'll see you Wednesday night. Don't forget Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. If you're not a part of the Kids' Crusade, meet in the Fellowship Hall. We'll have a good time of teaching ministry and there for all the adults that are not involved with the Kids Crusade. Hold tight. We're not finished yet. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, If you need to be baptized, remember sign up at our uh, Welcome Center. Also, if you're a guest with us, please turn in your connection card at our Welcome Center, and we have a gift out there for you. Have a wonderful afternoon.